Dave, have we ever had a number one New York Times bestselling author on our show? You know, maybe, but never anybody whose book, before it was even published, debuted at number one. In fact, it may have been number one before he even wrote the thing. It's that popular. Yeah, Roger Bennett from Men in Blazers has a book out called Reborn in the USA, an Englishman's love letter to his chosen home. And we're going to talk to him about how much he loves this country. And especially Chicago and the Bears and the Chicago White Sox and Pequod's Pizza <laughs> and the potholes and everything. And God knows what else. Yeah. Uh, but there's only one way to find out and that's to listen to Minutia Men's Celebrity Interview, which is up next. But first, listen to this other fine Opi show. And friends and everyone at Opi Shows want you to make sure to wash your hands. And if you're still one of those people who don't wash their hands after they use the bathroom, please do that now? That's something you should have been doing anyway. Cover your mouth when you cough. Come on, people. And with that, we have a special message from actress, comedian, and fan favorite, Milana Vintrub. I just want to wish the people of Chicago a safe, warm, peaceful stay at home. Please stay healthy. Please help other people stay healthy by staying home. Stay safe, Chicago. Thanks, Milana. Thank you. Guys, seriously, you can save the world by sitting on your ass at home. You cannot afford to miss this opportunity. You won't get another one. Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. Stay home. You will be saving the world. The following is a Tony Lasano podcast. An opie show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Minutia Men Celebrity Interview with Rick and Dave. All right, this is going to be a fun one, Dave. This week's guest is the co-host of Men in Blazers podcast and the television show. He's conducted countless television interviews with Premier League stars, coaches, celebrity fans. And now he is the author of a book that debuted number one on the New York Times bestseller list. The book is called Reborn in the USA, and the author is Roger Bennett. Welcome to the show, Roger. Oh, Rick and Dave, it is a joy to be with you in Chicago. And just hearing that introduction makes me feel like I have just single-handedly destroyed the publishing industry. It had a good... (laughs) Guggenheim invented the printing press in like what 1450 I had a good run yeah we we had a good run Uh, so (laughs) I want to get to the book in a minute but uh, because I read the whole thing in three days and I absolutely loved it but before we do I want to introduce you to your American doppelganger David Stern who's sitting across from you here tell me if any of this rings a bell with you Roger Dave is a follically challenged man uh, so much so that he wrote a book called The Balding Handbook, The Five Stages of Grieving for Your Hair Loss. That did not debut number one on the New York Times. <laughs> he, he judges athletes, musicians, and movie stars based on one criterion, their lack of hair. Bruce Willis, what, <laughs> it, it, his career is just getting better. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. His yeah, parents immi- immigrated here from Europe to escape persecution. He found a home in the Jewish community here in Chicago. He loves the Chicago Bears and the Chicago White Sox. And when he was in high school, his teacher made the entire class swim in the nude. Yeah. So we're like, we're. Oh t- my God. Oh my God. <laughs> Me and you are <laughs> your brothers from another mother, baby. Where, where was that? No, Dave, you grew up the life. I longed to swim in the nude and be tortured by my teachers in Chicago instead of in Liverpool. Where did you grow up in Chicago? Uh, I was a North Side guy, went to Lane Tech, and for when my freshman year in 1977. For whatever reason, we had to swim naked, and it, we yeah. and, and not only did we swim naked, we had to wear a swim cap. 
And I don't know if you're. <laughs> it makes no sense. I don't know if you're aware of how men develop. You know, and yeah. We had hair. You know, we weren't manscaping, but definitely, you know, yeah. there was there was no reason to do this. Hey, Roger, yeah. when when I got your book. I read this paragraph to Dave on the phone. Um, Mr. Stott's official duty was to check for clean legs on every boy exiting the shower area. He augmented this task with the additional self-appointed role of color commentator, providing play-by-play on the physical status of all the boys who passed as if announcing their arrival at a society ball. (laughs) I mean, that is the most terrifying thing I've ever read. Yep. Yeah, you so you'd hear him give this commentary as if he was uh, as if he was on the Marv Albert of shower uh, duty. He'd be like, "Kate, go cock, excellent work, boy." <laughs> and uh, whenever I went for party, chat up. Hitler's deformed micro penis. <laughs> it's just life goals. <laughs> you know, it, it, you know, and and again, as I still shudder when I drive my my daughter actually went to Lane Tech and she just graduated, and I would make sure I tell that story to every kid that I ever met that was Lila's <laughs> friends. And she said, "You know, I had to swim naked in that exact pool ever, just, from 1970." Yeah, I mean, part, part, part of the reason I wrote this book, um, I mean, I wanted to write about my love of America. I wanted to write about my love of Chicago in particular. And what the city means to me, has meant to me, how it's animated my life. Um, But I also know from whenever I've mentioned the way I was educated, what passed as normal, like the school I went to in England, in Liverpool, where if any minor infraction, you would be absolutely thrashed by sadistic teachers. You'd like come home from school with like bleeding body parts from being like absolutely battered, like the nuns in the Blues Brothers. And uh, your mum would just be like, oh, dear, were you naughty today? Yeah. She'd be like, oh, my God, what did the teachers, what, what, how are you bruised up and down? How are you bleeding? She said, oh, were you naughty today, love? Oh. And that was just like, and I know from like telling those stories to Americans uh, and my kids, I always find them just open eyed, hilarious. Part of the part of the, the driving force was to do that. But if you're fascinated by bald people, which obviously I, I am, I'm I, I do believe baldness is truth and should be embraced with just joy as part of life and, and human wonder. I will say there's nothing I love more. I'm about to do this next weekend with uh, with my oldest kid, Samson. I'm about to bring him back to to the places in Chicago that were deeply meaningful to me when I lived in the city when I first moved here cannot wait to take him to, to East Rogers Park mm-hmm. uh, and to, you know, to Comiskey Park for the first time. We're going to get, uh, sadly, nothing to see there, but to be, just have him walk around Soldier Field uh, will, be, will be a moment that I hope we both never forget. But, um, God, when I land at Chicago Airport, which is always like I always want to kiss the tarmac like the Pope when I, when I land there, but, my God, to see bloody Urlacher taunting Baldwin you know, a hero, oh. a, a sporting hero. What a, a fucking prick. Under- He's a fucking <laughs> prick, isn't he? What? I mean, I mean, talk about shitting in an incredible... To land, to land in Chicago is like opening an incredible bottle of wine and to have Urlacher take a shit on that aforementioned <laughs> bottle of wine. We're in seconds of me landing. It just, it just, it just... I, I, I genuinely, if I could do one... If, if a genie came to me and said... I will grant one wish. What do you want it to be? I wouldn't say world peace or like, can you stop, shut down Facebook because it's destroying democracy. I'd say, can you just take down those fucking Urlacher posters, please? And and they're every 40 fucking feet. You know, hair, you know, 
hair airport O'Hare airport or whatever or you know hair to day all these fucking puns yeah yeah he's i'm challenging brian urlacher right now i'm gonna kick your fucking ass oh yeah right Uh, by the way the the reality is urlacher as bald urlacher an incredible incredible human being that's brought such joy to many generations of chicagoans hair urlacher I'm just going to leave it there. I'm just yeah. going to leave it yeah. there. Different person, different way of engaging with the world. Right. And I do think, I think he thinks he's all, I think he thinks he's advertising hair transplants. The honest truth is he's advertising a cautionary tale. Do not go there, fellow <laughs> balds, because just darkness descends. And that is the reality. But that is, that is always just an absolute agony, a human agony on the way from O'Hare uh, back to the places of Chicago. It was trial by Urlacher, and yeah. bald man has to go to. Yeah, I know. Uh, and he actually looks better bald. Let's be oh honest. Oh, my God. Well, everybody looks better bald. <laughs> well, that's probably Can you imagine Eisenhower with hair? <laughs> yeah, he would no. look like an idiot, right? Uh, so talk to us about Chicago. I, I, um, the weather. You, you had a great uh, description in your in your book about the weather. And, and, and let me read just something real quick. My first impression of Chicago was the heat. A singeing kind of blast I had only experienced when venturing too close to the pottery furnace in the school art room. Were you naked? Were you naked when you were near the school art room? Uh, Boys must pot naked. Wearing swim caps. Only with swim caps. The, uh, yeah, I mean, I got off the plane in Chicago, this city that I dreamt about going to forever. Um, and in those days, you did get off the plane and get into a little bus and it would drive you to immigration. And um, I, I remember I'm from Liverpool, northwest England. I thought it was a basic requirement of humanity that you needed dampness in order to uh, operate. And the air, I thought it was just, I told myself it was just the propellers cooling down. And I did actually panic when I moved away from aforementioned propellers and realized, holy crap, this is Chicago. Yeah. In the summer, but I should say that um, Chicago, I know I don't sound American. I am more American than Kenny Powers. I'm like the most American person ever, which is why I wrote the book. And um, part of the reason I, you know, the American idea was was um, inculcated inside of me was that my great grandfather, like yours, uh, David Stern, was, um, were, sorry, oh, bollocks, are you editing this? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, it's no, fine. No, go, no, go, go, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. What? Just tell me your last name. Stern. You're right. Yeah, you got it right. right. Yeah. There you go. I freaked out. I thought you were the NBA commissioner, David Stern. <laughs> yeah. from a, dude, everyone's got a podcast nowadays. The, um, <laughs> Even dead people. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, my great uh, my great grandfather left Eastern Europe, Ukraine, probably around the same time as yours. And he was a kosher butcher, mm-hmm. um, and like you know, thousands of kosher butchers uh, in that period of time. The one city you wanted to move to was. Chicago, the hog capital of the world. It's where you dreamed of going. And my great grandfather, his name's Harris. I actually have a photo, big photograph of him right behind me on the set here at Men in Blazers wearing a Russian army uniform. Mm-hmm. And he was headed to Chicago. And uh, his big, huge life error was when the boat redocked in Liverpool to refuel. He saw the one tall building on the Liverpool skyline, pointed at it, and was like, oh, New York, we're here. <laughs> And so got off at the wrong stop and stranded my family in the northwest of England. Not a great place for kosher butchery, if you were to, if you were to be honest. And so we lived there. You know, I was very close to my grandfather, Sam, who was also a kosher butcher. And he, you know, when things were dark in Liverpool, Liverpool's a magnificent city, but my God, 
if you've seen Billy Elliot, you kind of get yeah. a sense of the, the north of England when I grew up. They were just in the post-industrial area, era, unemployment so high. There was a heroin epidemic that swept the city. It was darkness. And life felt hopeless. Pathways out felt really slender. And my grandfather would often, you know, he loved America. He went there a bunch um, just to, you know, spend time in New York, Miami, Vegas, Chicago. And he came back with tchotchkes. He had them all over his fireplace. And he'd take off a uh, off the fireplace um, a little plastic Statue of Liberty and he'd hold it up in front of my eyes and he'd say, Roger, we should have lived there. We should have <laughs> lived there. So, like, that was it. I grew up dreaming of Chicago and wow. dreaming of an alter ego of a life lived happily uh, in Chicago. And really, my journey um, has been all about trying to make it there for real. Well, you know, you, you mentioned the tchotchkes. Uh, I got a big kick out of the chapter where you list the four most sacred things you brought back to Liverpool from Chicago. Do you remember what those four things are? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I So I, I eventually did go to Chicago. By fate, I got a pen pal, young listeners. That's somebody you write to week in, week out in a foreign yeah, with country. And I, yeah, with paper and words. And I used to write to this <laughs> incredible Chicago and Jeff Owen from Northbrook, Illinois. And my timing was great because the Bears had just, uh, just kind of thrown off decades of, of futility and self-sabotage and wasting the vast... Um, majority of the career of the greatest bear to ever pull on a uniform Walter Payton they got their crap together thrown off that awful history and become a swaggering smash talking buccaneering um, omnipotent foe um, on the roll route to the Super Bowl and so I wrote to Jeff all the way through that Super Bowl uh, year and at the end of um, that season he wrote to me and said you should come over to Chicago for the summer and I was like oh my god I mean this was like I'd been to one foreign country I think at that age it was like it was as if he invent- invited me to Mars yeah. <laughs> um, and so I went there when I was 15 for the summer an incredible summer spent on the beach at uh, Glencoe uh, you know running around Highland Park shout out to Nutria and everyone who raised a malted uh, shake at Ed the Bevics. And there's, um, there's and, a lot of good kosher breakers, kosher butchers up there, too. Oh, my God. I saw. I saw what we could have had. I saw. I saw. I should have, I should have walked into someone's home and said, this should have been ours. Yes. By right. You're hanging the, the chicken raw, you know. Right? Yes. Yes. By right. I am the legal owner of this property in my imagination. Right. You call um, this chopped liver? Uh, Fuck, this is not chopped liver. And... Um, so I went there, spent the month in Chicago. It was incredible. I mean, the book describes it. It was transformational. It changed who I am, how I saw the world, how I thought what was possible. You know, America that I'd grown up with, Heart to Heart, Fantasy Island, The Love Boat, Miami Vice, um, and the music and the movies. It gave me the confidence, the courage, the belief, the hope. It gave me visions of pathways. Even before I'd stepped foot there, I told myself I was an American who just lived in, trapped in an Englishman's body. And so I went to Chicago and I got, you know, it was an amazing place because so much is free in America. You go to the gas station, pump some gas, they give you like William Refrigerator Perry poster leaning against the refrigerator. (laughs) You're like, oh my God. You know, every radio station would just give you tchotchkes, just baseball cap. I had just like, I remember going to the 7-Eleven and telling the guy that worked there his 
polyester nylon 7-Eleven top was just absolutely incredible. He just took it off and gave it to me. I was like, oh my God. This <laughs> what a great garment. country. Yeah. yeah, this garment is just incredible. I still have it. It's amazing. And and so I came back with just so much crap, so much crap. And the things I list in the book that really, well, the, the most important one, well, there were two really important ones. One one was obviously a pair of, 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 of Converse Chuck Taylors that mm-hmm. fit properly because for the past two years, I'd scrunched my feet size 11 into a pair that were like size seven or eight because they were the only ones I could find in England. But I, one was one was a Hard Rock Cafe Chicago sure. T-shirt, which was, you know, a, an incredible trophy. Um, it told people, you know, everyone in England, Hard Rock Cafe was like so bloody cool. It was the most exclusive club <laughs> to get into in your team imagination. And everyone wore them, but they all wore Hard Rock Cafe London ones. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, for me to walk around with Hard Rock Cafe Chicago, really it screamed, I've been there and you've not, <laughs> motherfucker. Yeah. And Bitches. Wore, yeah. I, yeah, I worked for the next five years um, whenever I needed an extra boost of confidence, which is all the bloody time. And then the other big one that was really life-changing, other than also a uh, tray of Oreos, which someone gave me, which <laughs> is the perfect food to give someone. It was like Proust Madeleine. Every, I ate half every night for like the next several years and the brilliance of oreos is that they taste moldy even when they're fresh yeah. so when they do get mold on them you actually don't notice the right. taste difference <laughs> yeah. but the, the other thing was run dmc's debut album on cassette raising help uh, not debut, the second album that uh, walk this way had um, been faintly audible all over america while i was there and I'd never seen anything like it. You know, the music that I listened to to that point, like the Smiths and R.E.M., um, I realized was the music of wistful longing, of passively engaging with life. And to listen to Run DMC, you know, the great thing about the album is that Walk This Way is actually the worst track on the album. And the other tracks are so superlative. And it's these three guys, three, th- uh, three, three friends who are like, holy crap, we can use our mouths as fire hoses. We can spit out words and just utterly and completely make our words come true. And I thought that was just the whole process, the swagger, which seemed to match that of the bears with which they engage with life. It was just a whole new model of being with which to engage the world. Well, I've got, I've got a gift for you, Roger, and that is uh, I'm going to combine your two loves, Walter Payton and music. All right. Now, I know you've you had a copy of the Super Bowl shuffle, but this is different. I was in radio around the time that you were here in Chicago and Walter Payton was on our show. And we uh, the the backstory is we were doing an appearance where um, he was there on the radio show, but he refused to speak because he wasn't contractually paid for it. (laughs) So he was there signing autographs and stuff, but he wouldn't come on the radio because it wasn't part of the deal. Now, we were playing a song on the on the show, and the host of the show, John Records Landecker, noticed that Walter was singing along. And so he turned on the microphone, and he had Walter sing. And I'll play it for you now. Here, here we go. Walter Payton, everybody wants to sing. Yeah, here we go. If you whoever change your mind. Oh, bring it to me, bring your sweet love. 
my God. It's beautiful, isn't it? Wasn't it great? I mean, you're like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. It remind it reminds me of we did a gig in Seattle, and Sir Mixalot um, came on stage to close the show, and he's actually an incredible human being. He doesn't take flights, but he drove eleven hours to make our show. Wow! wow. And the, the only the only thing you know in conversation is, I like, don't ask me to sing baby got back because i won't sing it you know i get paid a lot of money to sing that and you know i want to come on stage and enjoy with you but i don't want to do something that you know uh, I, don't, I just don't want to sing it and we're like can you maybe sing a verse like nope won't do it won't <laughs> yeah. do it we're like cool 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 so we're closing this show we finally already you know we're doing it it's like clint dempsey megan repeat it's like a great live show and he's driving all the way 11 hours and we get these texts, but like I'm an hour out, I'm like 40 minutes out. We're like, oh, is he gonna make it? And he just makes him, imagine this car outside the the, uh, the the live show, just like jumping out, running on stage and the crowd lose their crap. So yeah. mix a lot, oh my God, the great Seattle hip hop icon. And he just grabbed the microphone out of my hands and just launch right into Baby Got Back. Aww. It was like, just like, it's amazing. it wasn't quite as beautiful as hearing Walter sing, but it was an amazing <laughs> thing to see a human being just unable to prevent themselves, even when, you know, Wall wasn't getting paid, so mix a lot didn't want to sing it, but just when that moment yeah, hits, it, yeah. it all just got, and Walt, Walt Payton, as you know from my boy, ultimately meeting him and William Refrigerator Perry in fairly extraordinary and surreal and remarkable circumstances is is really the moment that um, speaking to them made me uh, decide to move to Chicago at the first opportunity, which I did. Well, and you're coming back July 31st. You're going to be on the South Side. Tell us about um, you're going to be throwing out the first pitch. Now, I got to warn you that when Arlo White was in town a few years a few years ago yep. throwing out the new uh, first pitch at Wrigley Rick my partner here stalked him like a little girl <laughs> looking for a selfie and and so yep. br- bring some security when you're at guaranteed rate field because Rick might be stalking I, I'm, I'm a bit of a soccer commentator stalker uh, yeah, it's uh, you know I, I actually pitched the uh, at, at Comiskey the week before Arlo pitched uh, uh, the Cubs um, oh really? It, uh, let's just say it was not a it was not a great White Sox season, and I think there were um, I brought more family members than there were in the, uh, <laughs> in, the in, in, in New Comiskey at that time. So it's beautiful to come back. It's a very special place to me. I've been a White Sox fan since that first trip when I did the old Comiskey was the first place I ever went to to watch Harold Baines hold mm-hmm. that bat. Wow. To just drink in. I mean, what an incredible game. Chess with chewing tobacco. Um, and the White Sox very thoughtfully and generously found the, uh, the scorecard from that game and sent it to me. It's now framed wow. um, in my office. It, it, I love that place. So many of my memories from living in Chicago, that great White Sox team of the early 90s, just the pitching. Uh, oh, my God. So many uh, remarkable players. It's like the Jack McDowell era. Yeah. Um, Alex you know, Fernandez, Jason yeah, yeah, Beret, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, yeah, and mostly I love watching uh, Joey Cora um, and and Julio Franco was just. I mean, the way he held that bat was always a joy. So they've given me so many years of of happiness and to come back to Comiskey Park. You know, I was a kid that came to Comiskey Park as a 
15 year old and sat in those stands and tasted those nachos and just saw this glory of this <laughs> game of chess with chewing tobacco and to come back um, a couple of decades later um, as an American citizen um, with my own kids and to be able to uh, take them out at uh, New Comiskey I find it deeply deeply meaningful it's like a symbol of all that America is for me and um, just uh, just um, I, I'm a kid who dreamed of coming to America. America has given me, and when I became American, one of 162 new Americans on the day, 42 different countries we'd come from, to stand in a court uh, a courtroom, hold up my hand and say the oath of allegiance, and you look left and right, and you see human beings who have you know, survived civil wars, yeah. famines, walked through deserts to be in that courtroom dreaming of America, and I know America is incredibly complicated, and uh, uh, every nation is but you see in that moment the power of the american idea the courage it's given the confidence the joy the hope that it's given people um you know who face challenges even you know i mine were about the the, the crazy teachers and being beaten up yeah. in chip Naked shops swimming, and yeah, but- <laughs> yeah but you know mine pale in significance compared to my fellow new americans but that's what i think about when i come to chicago with my own kids who are American and have American accents and, and go to Comiskey, just that, that journey, that arc, and how the American idea is at the center of the whole thing. Well, you know, uh, we can't have you on without talking a little bit about football slash soccer. Sure. And I, excuse me, because I love the Premier League, and um, at the risk of having your security rough me up when I stalk you <laughs> at uh, Comiskey, I have to admit something to you. I'm also a supporter of a club that you hate more than any other. I support Liverpool, which I oh, can't... The green, the, the green Bay Packers of England. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I can't challenge it. It's like Al-Qaeda. I can't help yeah. it. I'm drawn to the cosmic charisma of the hugging German Jurgen Klopp. I just uh, There's something yeah. about that that I love. But the reason I bring this up is because Dave here is looking for a club. He's gettable. He doesn't have a favorite team yet. Tell him why supporting Everton is just like supporting the Chicago White Sox. Oh, my God. I mean, it's um, – so Jurgen Klopp, I will say, um, is a remarkable human being. Um, for those of you who – we used to call him Teutonic Jim Harbour. That was when uh, <laughs> that was, that was Jim Harbour was still, you know, on the ups. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's just like a joyful, you know, he does attack. I don't know. How, I'm sure the Germans have got one very long word for attack each day with an enthusiasm and known to mankind. Yeah. Probably some great compound now. But um, he is a remarkable man. And I admire him. During lockdown, I, I cut a video of all the life lessons I've learned from being with him, and he is a remarkable leader. Um, you did a great was, interview uh, with him. I saw you, your interview I, with him. I've done, I've, done, I've done so many with him, yeah. and he is so emotionally intelligent that ultimately if you don't admire Jurgen Klopp, it's high, you know, it's, it says more about you than it does about him. But um, Dave, yeah. I mean, the reality is you're a Chicago Bears fan, you're a Chicago White Sox fan, so you know this. Ultimately, the joy of sports is less the winning. It's more the human connection yeah. and the place of the club in community. Um, and one of the things I loved, I, I talk about this in the book, um, you know, to follow the Chicago Bears in the era before the internet, um, like we couldn't stand having to wait for the results in England. 
And so when the Bears were playing, I used to go with my best friend to his house and we'd just call random 312 numbers. And they'd, and they'd answer and they'd be like, hello? And we'd be like, hello, how are the Bears doing? And, they, and thank God, Chicagoans, they'd stay on for 30, 45 minutes at a time, giving us our own private, private commentary. They'd be like, Jim McMahon's dropped back. He's in the pocket. He looks left. He fires right. Oh, he's found Willie Golds. He's at the 20. He's at the 30. And they'd be like, yeah, cool, cool. And I realized through those interactions, the role of Bears player, people would be giving some own private commentary, but they'd be surrounded by their family. They'd be drinking the beers. Mm-hmm. They'd be having the bagels. It would be just Sunday game day, a tradition. And ultimately, sports is about the connection, the joy, the memories you feel. And teams like the White Sox and the Bears, the reason I love them, and I've, all my kids are White Sox fans, all of them are Bears fans, all of them are Everton fans, possibly my greatest achievement as a father to make all three <laughs> stick. And I said, my wife's like, why would you do that? Why would you do that to our kids? And I say the following, that ultimately, um, life is hard. Life is full of challenges. And being a White Sox fan, being a Bears fan, mm-hmm. being an Everton fan prepares you for that reality. There's a lot of disappointment. Yeah. There's a lot of disappointment. But when, when you win, when you win, you never take that winning for granted. Yeah. And those glorious moments, you savor them as if you're dancing at your own kid's wedding. And I think it's an incredible way to not just approach sports fandom, but to approach life itself. Take nothing for granted and make memories while you can. I believe ultimately that's the purpose of life. Being a White Sox fan, being a Bears fan, trains you for that. And now, Dave, welcome to Everton. Well, totally. Well, let me tell you my little story about how I became a Sox fan. My my dad lived in, my dad and mom lived in Nazi Germany. Uh, They lived in Berlin and they were both half Jewish, which they were referred to as Michelings. Basically, uh, Rick, your German was mixed blood, right? Or undesirable mixed blood. And when my dad, they, they survived the war. My dad was in a slave labor camp and they came to America and they came to Chicago because my uh, grandfather was actually living here at the time who had to flee to Shanghai and they ended up in Chicago. My dad's first job. I don't know. Do you remember Goldblatt's department store when you were? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so my dad's first job was working at Goldblatt's and his first friend was a man by the name of Martin Dreyer who taught him, my dad English through hating the Cubs. Yeah, basically, it's, you know, my dad's first words were, Hank Sauer, you fucking suck, you know, or something like that. And and when I was born in 1963, I, I grew up in a unbelievably liberal home, you know, uh, Martin Luther King, Jesse Owens, John, you know, John F. Kennedy, all of that, except for when it came to Cubs. And I was allowed to hate the Cubs. That was my, you know, that was my one anti, you know, my one racist thing was hating the Cubs. And what you've been just talking about um, rings so true about the whole family connection. And, you know, I love it with your with your 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 kids and and wives are never going to understand anyways. But, I, you know, I think you just totally spot on about, you know, the connection with sports that we have. So that is it. Chicago sports fans, welcome to Everton Football Club and Godspeed. I'll be checking in to make sure this sticks, Dave. <laughs> okay, will do. Now, uh, you know, as much as you were drawn to America, and that's what your whole book is about, uh, you know, the, the ironic thing is Americans are drawn to Britain. You know, like I'm, I'm a big uh, Premier League fan, but uh, it's like a mirror image of your story. The British invasion uh, in the 80s, we had rock over London. Do you know how to 
if you've ever heard that show, it was big here. And when the Beatles were huge, Liverpool was even like a dream destination for American kids. But after yep. after reading your book about the reality of life in Liverpool, especially in the post-industrial era, really wasn't so cuddly and Beatlesque, was it? Look, um, when you do a book and you have people blurb it, which is to say nice things about it, hopefully... Uh, it was a very illuminating process. I sent the book out for the first time to be read. And um, Mina Kimes, the ESPN uh, NFL analyst, um, she very generously blurbed it. But she uh, texted me to say, oh, my God, you grew up dreaming of America. She said, I grew up just obsessing about the cure, the Smiths. I, I just wanted to grow up living in Manchester. And I was like, oh, my God, you dodged a bullet. You really <laughs> dodged a bullet. But. But the, what I've realized through this book um, is that, yes, I grew up dreaming of America. I grew up dreaming of life, lived in Chicago. I dreamt of a Chicago Roger. It helped me. The American idea helped me in my darkest moments, really, to survive. But as particular as my book is, it is my life story. It is my American story. It is my American journey. Uh, that uh, experience of adolescence and grappling with challenge that is incredibly universal and what i've learned is that so many thousands of readers you know dreamt of being elsewhere too it's a totally natural wonderful thing to do when you're a kid and you feel lost and all of us have dark moments to imagine a you that lives in a cooler city that says smarter things that hangs out with different people that makes you know the sound of laughter comes after what you say for all the good reasons, such a natural, universal thing, and I think I think that's very beautiful. You know, you're you're now an American, and I would imagine you're going to have you're diabetic, right? I would <laughs> no, assume, not, right? Yeah, that <laughs> doesn't happen immediately, Dave. Okay. Right. When, yeah. when do when do we give <laughs> I think the it takes like a generation. <laughs> okay. Right. Uh, uh, thank God. Thank God. I'm do, I'm doing okay. Go on. <laughs> uh, but no tape acts. But what are the British things that you will always be a part of you? You know, are there are are there words you refuse to Americanize? Customs you can't stand. It's not perfect, but you know, what are the things that you're still longing for? No, I mean, I do, I do, I do believe that. I always say I'm more American than, than Kenny Powers. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that is not American at all about me, as you listen to this, is my accent, mm-hmm. and um, it's not that I'm clinging onto it. Although my wife does remind me, it's my only asset. Is um, <laughs> is that? But yeah, I had a cousin that moved here exactly the same time as me, and he went mid Atlantic very quickly. Um, and what I've learned is, you, you know how Madonna goes to London and starts talking like she's a member of the royal family, yeah. or the English football managers often go abroad and, and manage in Holland and immediately start doing press conferences where like, hey, I think uh, the lads did really uh, good today. Um, and, and everyone laughs at them. But it's, that if, apparently, if you have a musical ear, then you do adapt your accent to the world around you. And if you don't have a musical ear, which sadly I do not have at all, then your voice, your accent never changes. And so I'd say the one thing that stuck with me, look, the reality is I moved here because I love America. <laughs> I moved here because I didn't want to be in England. So I, I, I love I, I drive around. I go to an American supermarket. Wait, I'm still like a what kid. Side of the I marvel street, at all of it. What side of the street are you driving on? You just I, said drive, drive, I, I drive up the middle just to be on the <laughs> same side. Um, the, the, but the, um, 
that's it. I marvel every, you know, pulling into a gas station. I still get a thriller. I'm a, an American gas station. So I love it. I never take any of it for granted. It's a joy. I mean, it, I'm like, a, I wake up every morning in Manhattan and I am so thankful to live here. But the one thing I have not, cannot, I, I, I have not changed because I cannot change it is definitely my accent. You well, know, I, I, I co-host a, uh, a podcast with, a, with an Englishman and uh, his one word that he just cannot change, uh, he cannot say garage. He, he says that just sounds so stupid. <laughs> and so he that is his one word. He, now he's also still has his accent, but that that is one word that he just uh, has to. And I don't even know how you say it. Uh, garage or well, how do you say it in English? Garage. No, okay, you're fine with it. Yeah. In Liverpool, you say, garage. It's in me garage. There you go. Go on. There's more to come with our guest on Minutia Men's Celebrity Interview right after this. We'll be right back. On the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, it's the story of a seven-year-old car that was just sold as a new car, plus a GM whoopsie-daisy. I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and Luke Hostable for these stories and more on the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. All right, Adam, what uh, country are you from? I am from England. What is the best soccer league in the entire world? The English Premier League. What is your day job? Director of coaching for Illinois Youth Soccer. So if you were, say, a fan of English Premier League and you wanted to hear the, the opinions of someone who is from England, who knows a lot of soccer, what podcast would you tell people they need to listen to? Free Kicks with Adam and Rick. And that's on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Free Kicks, a Tony Lasano podcast, Opie show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. Now back to our guest on Minutia Men Celebrity Interview. The book, again, for everybody, is called Reborn in America. You can find it everywhere books are sold. New York Times number one bestseller. Congratulations on your incredible success. And if people want to follow you, what is the best way? Oh, don't follow me, people. There's, 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 much, better, there's much better people in life. The book's called Reborn in the USA, is what I'd say. It's oh, true. what did I say? Uh, Reborn not, in America, I'm, I'm, yes. I'm, not, I'm saying that not to, by the way, I call it Reborn in America yeah. constantly. Which is, <laughs> but I'm only saying that to, to respect the boss. Like, I don't want him to have to yeah, change no, the, I song, get it. Yeah. Uh, the, the song title to match my book. That would be very offensive. So, um, I, you can find me on Twitter at Rog Bennett and um, you are beautiful blokes it's a joy to be with you I cannot tell you speaking to you both has got me so bloody excited to return to Chicago I'm going to inhale the Pequod's pizza oh. I'm going to twin anchor it up the wazoo I'm going to just <laughs> there's gonna, I'm just going to absolutely destroy um, so many um, hot beef sandwiches, but, but, but speaking to you is just uh, is to is to it's a perfect uh, appetizer for that wow. trip. So thank you, gents. Well, it's been our pleasure. One more thing: Go on. when, when Old Comiskey Car, uh, Old Comiskey Park got demolished, demolished, I went to the auction, and this is when I had disposable income and no kids. I purchased an old scorecard booth where they used to sell. Score- oh my god. Uh, my wife 
is basically telling me I got to get rid of it because over 30 years I said I'm going to make it into a bar I'm going to make it into a bar and I never did it now we just like have the humidifier on it do you want it my wife is totally telling <laughs> oh me oh my god he lives in Manhattan oh my god. how are you going to get that oh up the god. elevator it's like, it's, oh my god I can I can text I can I'll text you a picture oh of it oh my god oh my god I'll tell you in a heartbeat okay it's more like by, by the way, I've also done that. I, I bought for a huge amount of money. I don't know what the hell I was thinking of. Huge amount of money for me, anyway. Um, the I don't know if you remember the show Mad Men. Oh, yeah. There was yeah. a scene, scene in Mad Men where uh, Lane was watching the World Cup and had a scarf and an English flag and was watching the World Cup final in 1966. And I bid in an auction to win that, to buy that scarf and, and silly little paper flag, which was just made out of complete. I mean, it's a, cra- it's a piece of it's value, actual value is probably about five, maybe four dollars. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, that, I won them both in an auction. And I, I don't know why, like, I have them got them in a plastic bag under my desk and i don't know what the the, the thrill of buying something is often uh, followed by just like the holy crap what the hell do i do with this now <laughs> exactly. um, but my god you're a beautiful man you need to hold on to that there will be a moment there will be a moment in your life where you will realize why that was meant i, I would bite your arm off for that that's an incredible <laughs> you know what that's it's, an, it's yours for a 12 pack of newcastle ale <laughs> i'll tell you i'll tell you i'll pay i'll pay you in budweiser beautiful blokes to you to you you're really genuinely incredible the spirit of chicago flows through you and it's a joy to connect to that so thanks for having me you've been a good guy too if you know what i'm saying yeah the interview is about 55 minutes it'll be fine (laughs) thanks roger Godspeed, babe. Courage. Right, right. Well, that's it for this week's edition of the Minutia Men Celebrity Interview. Special thanks to executive producer Tony Lasano with opishows.com. Opi is hippo backwards. O-P-P-I-H shows.com. Distributed by Ed Silla from the Radio Misfits. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. And we'll be back again next week with another edition of Minutia Men Celebrity Interview. The proceeding was a presentation of Opie Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Opie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? <laughs> a lot of anchors do that. <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah, it's a thing. <clears throat> Are you ready? Ah, oh, boy. Okay, here we go. Three, two, one. Hi, I'm Howard Sudbury. And I'm Steve Baskerville. That Let's was do good. it again. What? That wasn't good. No, we messed it all up. What's wrong? What? How? It was going good, and then it went south. No, it didn't. Well, if that went south, get see what happens now. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Hi, I'm Howard Sudbury. And I'm Steve Baskerville. Back to you on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. I need an agent. What is the deal with all these little little liquor bottles? Uh, Yesterday was my sister's birthday. And as Germans, I just thought it would be fun to buy a bunch of little ones. And as it turns out, I bought too many. (laughs) You've got some crap here. you got rumple mints. Oh, it's awful. 99 apples. That is uh, apple schnapps that is 99 proof are you kidding me no holy crap which means it probably doesn't taste like apples at all <laughs> be my guess so this is 50 percent alcohol oh right? yeah mm-hmm. well all right yeah, you want one? Oh my god this <laughs> this apple stuff is <laughs> this is terrible yeah yeah all of these are so horrible Ugh. no not even a hint of an apple yeah, listen to Minutia Men on Spotify, opishows.com, or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits.